Did you did you finish watching the beautiful Stargate film that you teased us with last week? I actually did. Oh, did God. you? I was planning was on bringing as, that up. Was it as glorious as the sec as the first half? Oh, God, this movie. <laughs> it no, it wasn't as glorious. I guess. I mean, it de- it it depends on how you want to define the word glorious. But I mean, I was just saying words. It melted. I was just trying to get you to talk about it. It just melted into just the craziest sci-fi movie I had ever seen. Like really? <laughs> wow, really? Not like craziest sci-fi movie I'd ever seen. Excuse me, but it it just was so unnecessary hyperbolism. Low budget. It was so. That's a good way to describe it, actually, Jeff. <laughs> Hyperbolism? Like, yeah. It's just like everything was so over the top, except for like like Kurt Russell's acting and his character. I think it's the way that the director wanted him to act, but he's so stiff, and like he's like the John Wayne of space, I guess. <laughs> and then you That's have amazing. James or David Spader. James Spader. I did that last time. It's unfortunate. You, I think like Russell Crowe should basically be fucking Snake Plissken in anything, you know. Russell Crowe, like did that I say that? Of, yeah, Kurt Russell. Oh, Kurt yeah, Russell. I was, yeah. <laughs> I, I was so confused. <laughs> I'd I'd watch Russell Crowe as Snake Plissken. That'd be funny. That I mean, that'd be, be great. Yeah, yeah. It's God, basically it's York. basically him. It's basically that character just in like. He, he's part of the establishment. He's like the military guy that's like, hey, everything's going to be done by the book and it's going to be done under my eye. Oh, and, so he's sci-fi captain, like, number one. Yeah. And James Spader's like the like nerdy scientist who's like, oh, what does the government want with Egyptian tablets of 10,000-year-old dialect? And, like, James Spader's character at the end ends up falling in love with some like human uh, with Russell alien Crow. that he meets and with stays behind the Stargate. And it's just all just so bad. It's funny because we're shitting on it, but like if my wife was on this podcast, she would be like me on the Dune episode. She'd be like, Really? Oh, oh, oh but the, but what about this scene? She's a big this Stargate fan. She's a huge Stargate fan. Of huge, the movie? Huge. Of, of all of it. Anything all that's it. Stargate related, she is a huge fan. She likes I all mean, you the gotta shows show her a lot some better. more Roland Emmerich movies. She can be our first guest and explain to us why why she thinks they're so good. Uh I don't know how interesting that conversation would be. <laughs> 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 I love oh, Jolene. Boy. She's great, but uh, I don't yeah. know about that. But yeah, no, the movie is, is terrible. But I guess it's become somewhat of like a, you know, mini cult kind of classic because it's like the first iteration of this story uh, or on film or media or whatever. So, Well, Roland Emmerich movies do well, like, in terms of the box office generally. I'm not sure about in the last... 10 years or so but you know independence day was a gigantic hit and he's had other hits besides that as well yeah um because it's you know it's it's easily digestible broad entertainment that idiots can enjoy oh yeah. god it's, it's here pretty we go ridiculous. <laughs> now i wish i we need to have like a sound effects board so i can like ring the pretentious bell yeah <laughs> oh i knew it as i was saying it I know, and i'm not I gonna know. say that about most things but like roland emmerich Adam Sandler, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't no disagree. Doubt. I definitely don't disagree. No, with I you. know you don't. That's why yeah. you're on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, that was our review for Stargate. Uh, yeah, speaking of doing a podcast, we're, today we're talking about The Thin Red Line from 1998 by director Terrence Malick. It's a war movie. Um, I'd seen this a number of times before. I think Alex might have seen it a long time ago, and Jeff had not seen it. Um, but I picked it because... I really like Terrence Malick as a director. I think he's really interesting, and we'll get into why that is. 
Um, and he hadn't made a movie for like 20 years before this and came back with this incredibly gorgeous, in my opinion, war film, which is an interesting way to come back. But let's get some uh, just, you know, thoughts generally from you guys first. Um, Alex, what did you think of The Thin Red Line? So I'd never seen it, actually. Oh, you'd never seen it. Okay. No, but, you know, it got caught up in, like, that craze of the late 90s, like, war films that were coming out. I think Saving Private Ryan came out the same year. Same year. I believe so, yeah. Yep. Um. So there was that. There was, like, Enemy of the Gate at the Gate with uh, Jude Law and Ed Harris. There was, like, a lot of these war movies that were very similar coming out at that time. And... I saw most of them, but I didn't see this one. And I avoided this one for a long time because I like didn't like kind of the cookie cutter mold that I saw from some mm. of the movies mm. yeah. that maybe followed Saving Private Ryan's lead. Like war movies that are vying for Oscars, right? So we talked about Dunkirk a few months back when we did our Nolan overview. And... We did we do a Nolan overview? You mean just like we referenced it in the Tenet episode? Oh, you're right. That's yeah. You're right. We did. <laughs> we did. A, we did episode. David Fincher. That is who we did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a few months ago, people. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Anyways, I feel like that this movie is like a way ahead of its time as far as showing war in film, especially for the late '90s especially for what audiences were like seeing and what critics were raving about and what movies were popular, at least at the time. This movie, seeing it now, I'm like, this movie could have come out now in 2021 and still been a viable like depiction that audiences, I think, today would like even more. So I really liked this movie, and I thought it was extremely pretty. And I also think it was just slow enough for me to really appreciate the beauty of the movie it's not too much of a warry movie i don't know it gets pretty warry but we'll we'll talk we'll talk through these points but jeff how did you feel about the thin red line before we get to the nitty gritties yeah wow uh this movie i literally have just finished it uh before we started recording i got kind of delayed this week and uh Mm -hmm. it's hard movie to kind of just come right off of and start (laughs) talking about it requires a lot of digestion um I'm going to say, honestly, it's hard to say I like this movie in the sense where it's hard to say I like anything that's extremely horrifying to watch. Um, this movie's turned my stomach from from the beginning to the end. The end does let up a little bit as they're kind of like leaving and, you know, they kind of It's shows, bookended, yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of shows the journey home. So there's a bit of journey home section where it's calmer, but... For most of the movie, we go from and and I I I very much don't want to use the word gratuitous because I do think it's I don't think it is gratuitous, but the scenes in which this movie just like depicts war and its in its vulgarity are are, are stomach true. This is the most anti-war war movie mm-hmm. I have ever mm. seen this when i watch this i realize now like how these movies that you reference alex i mean i stress to say are almost propaganda oh, like 100%. pro-american propaganda 100 percent. this is the actual war movie to me this is the this is now the quintessential war movie in my in my category because these scenes and we'll get into more detail about them but i mean i i, I mean i just my stomach and my like grimacing and wincing and i mean i consider myself pretty i've seen some pretty horrifying real life shit and shit in movies and these scenes were just i mean this movie made me cry like legitimately made me cry it was not through like a scene in particular but i think it was just through like overexposure and that's why and empathy you feel empathy for all of these people and the the level of fear that they have, and I think that that's a big point. Um, we're going to go into spoilers now, but yeah. I think if anybody wants to see like a really beautiful contemplation on how terrible war is in all of its you know capacities, this movie doesn't pull punches. And it's very poetic. Um, I'd say see it. It's not. Uh, it's not. It doesn't have the kind of narrative arc 
that's something like Saving Private Ryan or most war movies have. In fact, the story is very in the background. It's almost like a tone poem. Yeah, it's in my ex- estimation. Oh, it's extremely abstract, and it's almost impossible to find any type of linear narrative in the first like forty minutes. I was like, yeah, I was not confused, but I was just very, very shocked and surprised because of when this movie came out and like where it was sandwiched in what was popular at the time. I I just thought growing up and never seeing this film, I thought it was always going to be like that. I'm like, oh, it's going to be just some simple run-of-the-mill narrative about some good old boys who fucking go and fight and then blah, 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 blah. There's going to be music and orchestras and whatever, you know? I'm not saying those movies are bad, but this movie... I really do feel like this recommendation was really good for me because you guys have gotten to know the movies that I like and things like that. But I think yeah, that it's funny a- games <laughs> falling down. Yeah. <laughs> it's movies about psychopaths basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would have been crazy to see him in this environment. <laughs> I would say, Oh, Alex you just dropped movies. Michael Douglas in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would Nick say you more like movie. A movie's about like you know altered psychological states. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I think Nick Nolte's character is like almost a commentary on those other movies because he's that like he's fucking that insane. kind of soldier archetype. Was like the only time you worry about a soldier is if he stops bitching, and it's yeah. like these things that like douchey military people would say. You know what I mean? And it's just Absolutely. um. But it also explores his psyche before this. And you see that he's kind of just like a broken, wounded man. Yeah. And that element of like, you got your war. I've waited 15 years for my war. Like it's this this need to prove himself to the point where it's like it feels like he's like a little boy. You see him as like a little boy on a playground who like never learned to grow up or like learned what love is. And he's like the fucking commander of all of this nonsense. Oh, yeah. Like the small sliver of John Travolta's appearance is perfect in setting all of that up, right? Like this younger upstart takes over the position that Nick Nolte really wanted and he just has to bite his lip and deal with it because he's such a company man. It's infuriating at the beginning and you're almost I'm I was almost rooting for his character. I thought he was gonna be some like salty old dog that was going to like help these young guys take the ridge but instead i mean i guess he does help them but in just a very different way yeah i totally agree i mean like when i started watching this i started was equally confused i was like oh there's not a quite set narrative it almost had a saving private ryan beginning type thing so i started kind of making allusions and even jokes in my notes I was like, oh, this is like if Keats wrote Saving Private Ryan. You know, I started making like, because it's so broody and like nature specific in the beginning. And then all of that just fell away as soon as like they landed on the island. And like the fear. I mean, everyone in this movie acts to their highest caliber, in my opinion. Like the fear, the panic, everything is just so painted on their faces the detail everything's rusty and gritty and covered in dirt it's just they just really paid attention to all of the psychological effects of the movie i've never seen fear in a movie like i've seen this maybe but i really can't remember the and especially how young people are like you have the kid in there who dies i mean the 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 death and destruction and just looking at people's faces it's it's very much like a facial actors movie mm-hmm. and this is something that i felt the last time i watched schindler's list as well like one of the great powers of that film is looking at people's faces and like seeing the experience of that surrounding that context just etched into it like like if it were etched into marble or something it's really intense um, yeah, I mean, the movie's about fear in my estimation, but but you brought up an interesting point there with um, the movie's very meditative at the beginning and the end, especially. Yeah, uh, it does. So it does so as well toward the middle. But it's very much like um, it's like it's 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 poetic, right? It's it's these guys looking at nature and living in this in this little village and thinking about what the concept of mortality means. And then once, when the war actually happens, all that falls away and it is just brutal and insane. 
And you don't even know where they are or what they're fighting for. That's the craziest part to me is it's, I know that it's about the conflict at Guadalcanal in World War II, but that's only because I have the IMDb page open. You could watch this movie and have no idea. And I think that's part of the commentary as well. It's like, this is all pointless. It's just, it's just dirt. One of, one of the guys in there who's just lost his mind from war says, what is this? This is real estate. I think it's Sean Penn. Yeah. Yeah. It's and about it all, property. It all comes down at the end and it gets more contemplative again. And yeah, it's just a really interesting arc. There's, um, Absolutely. this movie, I feel like it does a really good job of encapsulating like, uh, so many different narratives and characters that all have their own story and it jumps around between them but it's really cool like the way that it's successful in that but to what you were just saying jesse i feel like there's this big theme of nature in the movie and soldiers you know how they have the voiceovers from different soldiers there's one specific one that i feel like is addressing nature and the idea of the ferocity of nature, I guess. What is this war in the heart of nature? Yeah, and like, yeah, who are you to Jim live? Caviezel. Who are you to live in so many forms? I love that line. Yeah, it was great. Like, yeah, I'd... I think that he's talking about nature, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, I'd love to respond to that. Um, yeah, it's it's a really great point because I saw that too. That's kind of why I attributed Keats originally because he had that very broody aspect of nature where he like he knew he was gonna die but still saw like the majesty in every green leaf and every drop of dew like every little thing to him was so majestical <laughs> to use that made up word majestical uh, <laughs> I like majestical. that word yes. that's a good uh, one. Uh, but everything to him was so beautiful because he saw such a the world through such a limited lifespan and i really think that that lens is applied to soldiers in this movie like each man is seeing his life come to a close whether it's going to happen soon or it's happening around him and it's just extremely beautiful in a sad way as much like keats poetry is where you you're you're kind of relating to these men like yes you are all young men watching the end and that is horrifying i mean if you were going to draw a parallel to any realm of philosophy it'd definitely be existentialism it's definitely an existential movie that i mean there's it's hard to talk about right because there's there's so much going on and it's it's interesting this is a movie that if somebody who's used to having like a really solid plot watched it I could, like I could see people hating this movie. Oh yeah, and I really wasn't sure where you guys would fall. Um, and this goes into what people feel about the director Terrence Malick, who's very divisive. the The parts of this movie that like go away from any kind of narrative and are just like nature shots with philosophy on top. Some people fucking hate that, and a lot of his movies, especially these days, are like almost nothing but that. They're like completely abstract, basically like visual tone poems. Um, And that can be really frustrating to people. And I totally get it. I totally get it. Because it can feel like if you're not willing to sort of meet him halfway and ask questions or just if you're not keyed into, I I don't know, just something. I'm not going to I'm not going to put it above or below. It's just saying it's something. I think that him being uh, like doing this kind of tone poem effect on a historical battle that is like so well entrenched in history and like was an actual you know event i think that helps a lot ground it in the reality that it needs to be able to be so abstract i think i haven't seen a lot of his other films i don't know if i've seen any of them i can't think of it off the top of my head but Mm -hmm. I feel maybe as if that helped this movie be more accessible to audiences, right? My question to you guys is 1998, right? Three years Mm -hmm. later, World Trade Center goes down. We go into massive 
wartime overdrive as a country. Do you yeah. think this movie would have been like what what do you think this movie first off do you think it would have been made and do you think what do you think the reception would have been? Cuz we were in a period of very stable peace at this point as a country. Yeah. Well, I think there's two ways to answer that. One is the audience perspective. I think maybe the audience would, wouldn't have been quite as interested. But your other question or the, the other part of that question that you asked is how would it have gotten made or would it have gotten made or how would that change? Mm-hmm. And that goes into Malik. See, this is a very interesting point in Terrence Malik's career because he made two movies in the 70s and then didn't make movies for 20 years. And he came back and made this one. And the interest when people knew that he was making this was absolutely insane. Let me pull up the Wikipedia page here. And I will tell you not only who's in this movie, but who wanted to be in this movie. People were lining up around the fucking block to be in this movie. Makes so much sense. This movie was such a, oh, this guy's in it type of yeah, movie. Yeah, it's, like, it's John constantly, constantly surprising through. you. Yeah, you're like three quarters of the way, you're like, George Clooney's in I it? Know. <laughs> you know, I know. Fuck? I know. So yeah, let's this cast. You got Sean Penn, Adrian Brody, Jim Caviezel, Ben Chaplin, George Clooney, John Cusack, Woody Harrelson. You got Jared Leto in there, yeah, I our saw favorite that. actor. We got to see him get killed. Uh, Nick Nolte, John C. Riley, yeah. yeah, John Travolta. There were some people who got cut out of the movie. There's basically an entire base of of film that is an entirely different movie starring um, um, Adrian Brody. Oh. Yeah, Adrian Brody was pissed because he basically shot an entire movie with him as the lead. Um, and it ends up that he has like two lines of dialogue. Yeah, he's tiny little fife. But um, the people who wanted to be in it, who were like trying to get Malik to let them be in, which is, this is crazy because Malik had only made two movies and none in 20 years. So you had Robert De Niro, Robert Duvall, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Pacino, Gary Oldman, uh, Bruce Willis wanted to be in there. Kevin Costner. So everyone. Everyone wanted to be in this movie. Johnny Depp, Edward Norton. Yeah, like you go on. Yeah. The I list mean, so, keeps so going. So every famous actor at the current time period and now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, like so it makes a lot of sense because this movie has about as many of those type of actors as it can possibly be. could shove in, yeah. You're like, literally when John Cusack comes out, I was like... Uh, okay yeah i know and then he just leads the regiment and like destroys a a bunker and it's like holy fuck okay badass john cusack out of nowhere yeah it's fucking insane yeah but i don't don't know to like to bring this kind of ground back to something else that is very interesting is the way it kind of flips in the middle i don't know if that was something you guys noticed but you know we see the hardship and the pain and the insanity and the suffering and the emaciation of these american soldiers and and the fragmented aspect of their command structure how everything seems so broken it's not like mm-hmm. what we see in other war movies where it's like yes sir okay cool the, top, the orders found from the top All right, we got our orders we got to do it's a it's like everything's broken and shattered nothing makes sense everyone's confused people are leading who shouldn't be it's so fragmented but then it kind of flips and all of a sudden now as they're attacking the japanese in earnest you see the exact same conditions in the japanese soldiers arguably worse i mean these thin emaciated soldiers because you know at the time the japanese had this mentality of you know no surrender death before surrender it was this huge dishonor to surrender. And you see this like pain, dishonor, and emaciation. It was just, that's actually where the movie kind of like triggered that emotional response for me. It was like, wow, like he didn't pull punches at all. He showed both sides in this like pointless engagement. I don't know. It was just really disturbing at that moment. Yeah, I could not agree more. The moment when they have captured the Japanese soldiers. And A, one of one of the Americans is just like beating them when they pull them out of their holes and like shooting them in the head and stuff. And just like he's doing it out of sheer just blind anger and frustration 
well, another American soldier is weeping. But then when you have the Japanese soldiers back at the camp, the prisoners, and it just lingers on their faces. And that's all it really has to do. And you're like, wow, this is just stunningly empathetically human. Like if you have empathy, this movie's going to fuck with you real hard. It's almost. And that's, that's one of the big moments. It's almost shot like a nature documentary. And I don't mean that like as an insult. I mean, some of those nature shows and things like that have some of the best camera work out there, right? Like it's just extremely pretty and, but gritty and real at the same time. But I feel like it's very beautiful film and it opens very beautifully. I mean, it's like you're underneath a canopy and there's like rays of light shining through. And then throughout the entire film, like even with her in the grass, the high grass, when they're rolling up the ridge, like there's moments where it's just like waving, you know? I mean, but the most horrible shit is going on. Men are crying, like you said, and losing their minds and, whatnot but I, w- I stress to say the movie's beautiful i really wouldn't I, I really couldn't agree with you on that point i would say this movie is horrifyingly ugly with these really amazing br- shines of light these beautiful shafts of light that cut through the haze and give you that one moment of respite where you can take a breath like you know you have this scene where they are they're advancing at first through the hill and, you know, the two soldiers, it's like, I think they're actually the first two deaths in the movie. Uh, the first two soldiers, he tells them to advance and they immediately get shot down and everyone's like, fuck. And then it just sits and that tension just sits and you show they cut the camera cuts to the grass and you see the sun like taking over mm-hmm. because time is passing. So you see it go from like early morning shaded to like mid late morning full sun yeah and it's like shining off the green grass and you're like it almost made you forget about that horrendous like little moment of tension and then boom you're right back underneath the dark cloud and and there's artillery and screaming and crying and it goes back to being just just ugly ugly war see i think it's the exact opposite actually for me i think it's like the movie is overwhelmingly pretty and beautiful and it like it's beautifully me. shot for sure. But I wasn't too keyed in or like paid too much attention to the the gruesomeness, I guess, of it. Because interesting, they did a good job not to make like the goriness the main focus of those scenes, right? It was. I wish it was. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, like, it's. I think it's. It would. It's a difficult balance, right? Because you don't want to tip the scales into exploitation territory. Exactly. Like the movie's already super brutal. And it, I think it did more than enough in that category to where it didn't yeah. need to do more. For instance, Woody Harrelson's death, perfect. I didn't oh, I yeah. didn't really know or understand what had happened other than he had blown up a grenade very close to him and he had made a mistake. Now they didn't show what had happened to the lower half of his body. The shot is all from him him from the waist up but everything he's saying and everything that the men are doing and that one guy promising to write his wife like that stuff i was keyed in on and that stuff was yeah. really strong but the power of acting exactly i didn't need the the fake blood or the intestines you did not need anything. to see his butt literally get blown no. off when he pulls the pin instead of the grenade. exactly yeah and it's like, and I didn't need that either. Like, I, gruesome, I wouldn't say this movie is. It, 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 it's, if I were to talk like Yoda for a minute. Um, <laughs> it's more like, I don't know where that came from. Uh, it's more, the uh, keep that in please. Um, it's more of this, it's the human element that is the most disturbing to me. It's, it's all of that shit you just talked about is what is hurt, it, it, it it makes me sick and turns my stomach. It's this very real interpretation of what it looks like to watch someone die in front of you, you know? And it's like the confusion, the going from cold, you know, and and then, and feeling cold and then kind of losing your sense and just kind of falling asleep. You know, it has, it, it ticks all the boxes of like, yep, we wanted to make this look as human as possible. And that that real human moment where you're like, that's it, lights out, 
holy crap, that that was so portray- well portrayed over and over and over and over again <laughs> to where you're just like, I'm, you're just battered by it and the insanity and like how they handle each little, it's not like, there's no like, even Band of Brothers, which at the time to me was my quintessential war reference, is now such a hero's tale because it's like, oh, our shell shock, shoot him, shoot the shell shock. It's like, no, you don't murder your fellow soldier because he's gone insane. No, I mean, the only about, heroism in this movie is empathy. You're only a hair away from being him. That's what everyone's realizing. Is yeah. like, oh, wow, I'm one extra shell blast next to my ear until I'm this guy. And so they like try to take his gun away from really slowly and like, okay, we're going to take you back to camp. Like there's an empathy and a love and like, I'm not going to send men I've lived with for two and a half years to their death. Like there's just a, a level there where like logic is trying to prevail the whole movie and it, it can't in this military structure. Sorry for the rant. Yeah, no, that's good. It goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier in terms of like what you consider a structure like the fact that we don't know where we are i, I want to go back to this yeah because it's so emblematic of just the chaos and the futility of war where it's like we literally you could literally watch this whole movie and have no idea what the point of any of it is you know what i mean and that's, that's totally by design so there's one Absolutely. conversation only i think where they mention guadalcanal it's between nick nolte and the captain who refused to send his men He's like, I don't know if you understand the importance of our battle here at Guadalcanal. And then he like goes on to tell him what it's going to do for the war and whatnot, blah, blah, oh, blah. Oh, you know what? The uh, the audio, the like the dialogue in that was so low in the mix that I think I just didn't hear it. I had to turn oh, subtitles yeah. on for this movie, and I actually yeah, am I glad that I did. Same. It's very literary, Same, yeah. which was, I thought, extremely cool and connects to your, you know, Keats interpretation, Jeff. Yeah, this movie waxes poetic constantly. That's Malik. I won't go too deep into Malik because the fact that you guys love this movie means we're going to do more Malik, which I'm excited for. So I'll save like some of the the bigger sort of, you know, thought pieces I have about him mm-hmm. for that. But that's it is definitely him finding that poetic style. And yeah. I feel like when I watched it this last time, I actually thought that a few of the contemplations that are dropped in were a little bit heavy-handed. Yeah, me too, actually. I was about to just about to say that. Yeah, and so I feel like after having seen what he's done since, I feel like this movie, going back to it, is like a poet finding their voice. Mm-hmm. And he's not there yet. He's there, he's there visually. He's there with the way he works with actors. He's there in the thinking. It's just not quite there in like the translation in the screenplay. into poetry. Yeah, yeah. I felt the same way. But it's he doesn't generally use screenplays now, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. um, you kind of have to do that to some degree when you're shooting a war film. Yeah, because you can't just you can't just improvise battles. <laughs> you have to have this shit planned. <laughs> but we'll we'll save that for um, one of his other movies. But well, actually, oh sorry, uh, I just I just want to mention piggybacking off that point. But just the the parts of the movie that I thought were the worst choreographed were the actual shooting because you could see that Terrence Malick had no interest in making it look like the soldiers you know I mean they know how to look like they know how to use their guns to a degree but there was a lot of like loose handedness with the weapons and a lot of like like that wasn't the focus yeah exactly like you could tell that all these like muzzle flashes were edited in post and everything like there was a there's a level there of uh, disingenuity to the gunplay, but that was almost like on purpose. Not on purpose, but... I did n- not get that. I'll say not that intentionally. for the listeners. I mean, I just... that As someone just like, that's something I pay attention to. I just didn't see that level of choreography in the, in the gunplay, but that's not something that should be there. Do you think that's because you just know that it's being staged? Or like, like if you watch Saving Private Ryan, do you think it's... Um, more oh, yeah. realistic for sure. Yeah, well, yeah like yeah. Gunplay and okay. Saving a Private Ryman is much tighter. Like I think it's really well made in this movie. I don't. I don't want to give anyone the impression that it's like looks like a B movie or anything. Oh no, no, um, it's no. I'm not trying to say that at all. I mean, like, you movies. can be a triple A movie and have like a movie can have downsides, even though it's a per um, like. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like the gunplay yeah, just, in certain movies is usually open because there are people 
how do I say this? There's a good group of an audience that knows how to use guns or has used guns before. And there are some movies that actually take into account, like they want the gunplay to look extremely realistic, right? John Wick. John Wick. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's like the and that's prime not extent. Terrence Malick. Exactly. That's not what he's doing exactly. here. And so like that's the point. Is like it doesn't look fake. It doesn't look like they're using rubber guns and, and <laughs> that's what it, that's the point I wanted to yeah, make. It doesn't yeah, look yeah. fake. It doesn't look yeah, fake. It looks it definitely good. doesn't look fake. It just it's it's just, just you might notice it if you're you keyed could, into that. Yeah, if you're just looking for things to be like, oh yeah, like they're because but I think that's a testament. I, I'm not using that yeah. as a complaint. I'm saying like that is actually a a perfect thesis to what this movie is is like it, it doesn't focus on those parts of war movies it's the the reactivity to the violence that that grabs you so much that nothing else matters yeah, yeah. i will say yeah. my criticism with the film is the same as as jesse's i would go as far to say as there are some moments of dialogue and just writing overall in the film that border on camp like just basic war dialogue but it's not a huge or glaring issue are you referring to dialogue spoken by actors to each other or the reverie moments both both okay that's just like the writing like even if it's the writing that they pulled from the novel it's mm-hmm. it's just some of it like borders on just when I say camp too, I don't mean that like so harshly. That's not what this film is at all. I just mean that like there are some lines of dialogue in it that I feel are lines of dialogue that almost are on like a prefabricated, you know, like machine of war movie dialogue. And you just press a button and a random thing will spit I, out. I know what you're saying. I know what you're talking about. And I'm not sure if it's intentional or not. I think it might be. It could be. Like like I said, because the Nick Nolte character is a commentary on that archetype. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe some of those lines of dialogue are also commentaries on the war film archetype, you know? It's like, let's throw this in there. That, most of those lines come from Nick Nolte's character. So, it, I mean, it kind of makes... Not all, but some of them do. Yeah, can you think of one that wasn't from him? Well, Alex, I mean... Off the top of your head? Again, another scene that I like, the Woody Harrelson scene. You know, like... When yeah. he says, oh, you know, I feel cold. I always think to myself, like, fuck, how many war movies am I going to see where someone says that? Like, I get it, yeah. okay? I get that people feel cold when you die. But mm-hmm. you don't need to say it every single time. But mm. I, I don't think, like, well, he's that's, like, four words, right? Like, <laughs> three words. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. break the movie or anything. There are just little moments in it where, like you said, you see a growing poet. And every once in yeah. a while, that poet will veer into an avenue of just being like, okay, this is a little bit of cliche or overdone, but for the most part, I mean... You make it your own. Yeah, you know? I think this is really strong. Yeah, I think heavy-handed is a better way to put it, as Jesse did. Uh, like, I think it was also really... Act- most of that was during the end for me, because it, it, it's hard to wrap up a movie, I think, poetically this intense... And this like mind shattering, I don't know, demonstration of war. So I, I think at the end, like I hope I come back to you the same man as I left. Like those type of lines are like they're not bad. Like I don't roll my eyes when I hear them, mm-hmm. but I go, yeah, okay, that is something that you probably would say in a type of coming back from war, especially when you you know, spoilers for the end, you know, he goes back. Our, I stress to say protagonist. Our first character, the closest we that see, we have, yeah, uh, goes back to this village in which he had was gone AWOL in in the beginning, and they they don't recognize him in the sense of who he has become, but in the same time, it's almost like violence and anger has infected the village that he once considered peace. And yeah, there's a beautiful part of that as well, where the beginning is filled with this this great music. And that becomes like a theme, a little theme that is called back to a couple times. That's like that village's theme song kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's devoid of music when he goes back and it feels like flat and empty. They're like, And so it's like after war, there's just this flat emptiness to things. I don't know. The music is really yeah. good in this movie, I want to say, too. It stayed away from that 1990s like orchestral type music that like is just basically like 
give this movie Oscar an Oscar. music. Exactly. Yes. Right. It's like, <laughs> please give this movie an Oscar over violins <laughs> and cellos and whatnot. This had the classic, like not classic, excuse me. I take that back. This had the Hans Zimmer that we know now. It was very like rhythmic and very like minimal at some points. And some of the songs lasted an extremely long time. Because I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, folks, but this movie is very long. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going on three hours. Yeah, yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a heaping helping of violence and. I was gonna say intensity. before we got past Woody Harrelson, I thought his character was really interesting as well because I was really keyed into this aspect of fear in this movie. Like that's it's about different things each time I watch it. This time it was really about fear, and it was also about the contempt of fear. And I thought that was really well portrayed, not just in Nick Nolte, but in Woody Harrelson, you see the soldier who is acting sick, question mark, mm-hmm. to get out of could get out of duty because he's just like, I mean, scared scared shitless, mm-hmm. basically. And Woody Harrelson just has complete contempt for yeah. him. Yeah. I mean he could actually be sick, like psychosomatically, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, You're about to go into battle. Yeah. <laughs> And Woody Harrelson's yeah. having none of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it was an interesting scene. I almost saw Woody Harrelson as... I always saw each of these soldiers as like a different representation of why or how men enlist and how they interpret war. And you have all these different little little tiny windows. These It's, it's like looking through a dollhouse. You, you can look into all these tiny little windows and see these different rooms inside these characters' heads. And, and Woody Harrelson's like... He's not Nick Nolte, but you can see he wants to be that kind of man. He wants to be, you know, Nick Nolte when he comes on the bat on the battlefield after everyone's had their heads down for hours. He's the only one standing, and he's like, "Hey, why are you sitting? How can you see anything?" Like he has that bravado of the fearless soldier, and it's almost like Woody Harrison wanted to be that soldier, but you could still see he had fear in his own eyes, and he was sweating, and he wanted to be, you know, he was prepping his grenades. And I don't know if you noticed that in the beginning, right before the battle, he prepped his grenades and put them on his side. And then he grabs the pin on accident. So it's almost like in his hasty preparation to be a good soldier led to his downfall. Because then he pulls the pin instead of grabbing the grenade. Mm. And and these are frag grenades, to kind of go back to Alex's point, where they don't stylize much of the type of artillery and ammunition. Like frag grenades, like they can take off body parts but they mostly just send pieces of hot slag into your body so if a frag grenade went off at it on his hip surely he'd probably have like a pretty fucked up hip and broken leg but there wouldn't necessarily be anything besides a lot of blood you know because all these just pieces of metal lodged into his gut so it's it, it it kind of tones down that level of gratuitous violence not it's not the opening scene to save it priving ryan we don't see that this movie. We mm-hmm. see a l- glimpse here or there. And that's mostly what I love is mm, this contemplative yeah. side. It's more, I mean, there are grander scale action scenes in this. Uh, not not grander than Saving Private Ryan. I'm just course. talking about gratuity of violence and like gore. I'm not talking about grand. Scene. This movie feels more personal. Yeah. It's more of a personal window into all these people from, from Woody Harrelson and uh, Nick Nolte's like sort of you know, just hard line, hard veined military officer types to to people like Jim Caviezel's character, who's our main guy, who's just he was a really great casting choice for that character because his eyes just radiate empathy. He has these like beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> I, I had. A I could see question. why I could see why Mel Gibson cast him as Jesus. <laughs> I really want to ask you both like about his character in particular. His character yeah. confused me the most. I didn't, you know, he goes AWOL, they find him, they punish him by putting him on a stretcher unit, which I guess was supposed to show him that, like, hey, this is what happens when you go AWOL, is that men die because of your actions, but, you know, he wants to get back into his company because he still loves his brothers in arms. He was a very complicated but fragmented character, and eventually they abandon that narrative almost and he becomes this dreamy-eyed just like observer 
with a half smile on his face the whole time. And I almost had a sense of a man in Nirvana. So my question, long-winded as always Jeff's questions are, uh, yeah. is <laughs> do you think this character is a representation of kind of Nirvana or a state uh, that a soldier can be in where he can kind of just observe war and not be affected? I think it's wonderful that you're asking that. And the the reason you're asking that is is a testament to Terrence Malick. Because I don't think Terrence Malick is a director who is interested in explaining things. He doesn't even give interviews about his movies. He's he's more like somebody who's asking questions. And maybe this is just sounds like really pretentious. Depends on your subjectivity, I suppose. But um, to answer your question, I don't know. I think he's a fascinating character. I think there is some level of, of acceptance within him where he's like, just he's questioning it but at the same time he's just at peace with it in a way that nobody else in the film seems to be whether he's watching the the calmness of the village play out in the beginning or whether he's volunteering to go on you know basically a suicide mission because some of the other guys might get hurt he's just in it for i don't want to say in it for the ride because that implies like a lightness of tone that's not correct. Yeah. I don't know. Alex, you want to weigh in on this? I mean, I do think that there was a small bit of lightness of tone at the beginning, the way that Jeff was saying, like it would almost seem like we were getting introduced to this like maverick type of soldier who was like a little bit of a rebel and who had just gone off and like, was like, Oh, I was, you know, dropping acid with all of the natives for a few months while we were on this detail. (laughs) And, there's something about the Pacific theater of World War II and the way that it's portrayed in film that I think lends to this. Like, you see it a lot in Vietnam War movies, too. You know, the jungles of the Pacific. But as far as the Nirvana thing goes, I don't know if he is Nirvana or the state of Nirvana or even if he is a symbol that represents it, but he might be the character that accesses this idea that you're talking about the most. Well, he has a line in there that's that's superimposed over something. I think it's like a sunset or something. I don't know. But he says, every man looking for salvation by himself is like a coal drawn from the fire. Hmm. So I think he's definitely the most, and I think that's him. It's hard to say sometimes because you're not really given a direct line into who is providing the narration. Mm-hmm. But that I, I believe that's him saying that. But in any case, that's that's one of the meditations here is like all this chaos is pointless. Like maybe we're all just part of the same thing. See, he was more positive about it or his his vibe and his like energy was a lot more positive. Whereas Sean Penn's character, I feel like was the same way was like, this is all for nothing. Fuck this. Like I'm over all this shit. But was it he was more of like the everyman type soldier that was kind of just like, nah, I'm over this shit too. It's all pointless, whatever. But he didn't have that same like spirituality to him that Jim's character, Jim Cavazio's character did. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard because everyone kind of has this gravelly Southern accent. At times. Yes, exactly. So it's, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to tell who's trying to, to speak. Like for a while you have the character whose wife he's like very much thinking about mm-hmm. and uh, he's a little bit darker skin, slick back black hair. And he's like, he, I, I think he has some of the best lines of far as like these waxing poetic moments, but of just like contemplative about himself. Like, is he ready? Is he the person ready for this war? I don't know. It's, it's just, it's very strange. And, and there's a lot of Odyssey references I picked up. Mm, really? Yeah, which was cool. Like they, you know, he says, you ever read Homer? You know, obviously. Oh, that's right. One. Yeah. And then he says, rosy fingered dawn. Nick Nolte's little over, like overline when the dawn breaks and they're about to, which is a line from the Odyssey talking about like when uh, the sun rises before a, a great battle, the rosy fingered dawn. So it's like, there's just a couple little allusions to the Odyssey in this, which I thought was very interesting. What do you do? You think that? What do you think his like idea with that was? I don't know. I just, I just, it's something that just kind of stuck out to me, and I just wanted to make sure I made a, a, a mention of. I really don't know 
yeah. where he was going with yeah, that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's, it's really rich. You know, there's a lot going on under the hood to to sort of chew on. Yeah, it becomes it becomes even things. crazier with his later movies, where it's like, it's almost all visual metaphor that it's like asking questions. It's wild. I don't know. We'll we'll do one of those at some point. Yeah, um, these characters just transcend soldiers, and the, they, these men are not soldiers. These are humans with thoughts and feelings these aren't grunts that can just be thrown at a at a wall over and over and, and like you know much like a wave and try to erode at the wall eventually until it crumbles and then they can get in there and, and win the war it's just <laughs> yeah it's, the, the humanity is what makes this movie win a hundred percent um did you guys have a favorite scene or sequence i'm actually trying to find that that line about the rosy finger dawn because that was my my favorite scene, but I unfortunately oh good luck pawing through it. three hours for yeah, two seconds I'm, I'm, I'm of dialogue. I'm not gonna paw through it. I, I tried to type <laughs> it into Google to see if I could find the moment. <laughs> find the but moment, it, but everyone's just like uh, like these huge twenty page breakdowns about Terrence Malick as a uh, poet. And I don't know. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's oh a lot of God. scholarship on him out there. For uh, sure, I don't really yeah. know if I if I have one particular scene. Oh. Wow, real quick. So there, there's a documentary on Terrence Malick, and it's called Rosie Fingered Dawn. So I nice. think that there's a little <laughs> bit of a little illusion yeah, there. Yeah, boy, think, got something. I got something, so there you go. Go ahead, Alex, sorry. Oh, no, that I was done. I was, I was just saying I don't know if I, there's like a scene that I can. Yeah, it's a weird one out. because that all kind of blends together, right? It, it doesn't follow a very traditional plot uh, structure. Like, you know, like the falling action, rising action, all that bullshit. It's not traditional in a way. There are some points where you feel like the movie is like, oh, wow, like this is a big battle scene and they they did it. They're done. But the movie goes on for a little longer and a little longer and a little longer. <laughs> and there are some times where I thought it was going to end, but then it didn't end. You know, so <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the ending, the very final scenes might be my favorite. When he goes back to the village? Just at the very, very end, I believe. Kind of like when they're all on the boat going home and they're like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they, there was that great scene with a young man in the early part of the movie where he's like talking to himself in the mirror. Like, the only two constants in this world are death and the Lord. You know, he's like really scared to die and trying to hype himself up. And then you actually see he survives and he has that little final conversation at the end with I, with famous actor, x in the movie i forget which one and uh you know it's like almost like oh wow you know this this guy survived this character we see for five minutes in the beginning and it almost shows just the randomness so i do agree that those scenes were definitely a little they had they held a lot even though they were very quiet yeah i like the scene with thomas jane if that's who you're talking about that was interesting to see him in the movie i was looking for him because I like Thomas Jane a lot, I couldn't find him. <laughs> oh, really? It's uh, I was it's... just like, maybe he's just he's. I guess he's just super young, and I was like, I just couldn't pick him out. I don't know. There's too many too many actors. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Because like every time I see Thomas Jane in a movie, I always visualize the sideburns and the mustache he had going in Boogie Nights. And like, <laughs> yeah, I always like, right. put it on him mentally in the films that he's in, even when he's clean shaven. But that's funny. He's only in it for a few minutes, like George Clooney. I mean, yeah, George Clooney's there for like one scene. Yeah, he's well, just same like with John Travolta. Talking. I yeah, know. Same with John Travolta, and it's the worst scene in the movie. John Travolta's scene. I thought that scene was actually kind of that like that scene is cool because it has Nick Nolte's. It humanizes Nick Nolte. Yeah, so that provides he, provides humanity for him for the rest of the movie. I just okay. wish it wasn't John Travolta he was talking to. Because is that like, just distracting for you, dude? I just he doesn't. He's just one of the. He doesn't act. He I just mean, talks. They just put him in movie and he talks. He, the last movie he acted in was Pulp Fiction. Like it's <laughs> like it's just he just goes there and he's like, "Yeah, I'm John Travolta. You want a cigarette?" Like it's just. I, did I, you I, did I, you see the latest one? He did one lately where he tries to act and he tries to act in a Fred Durst directed film. That's the oh. guy from Limp Bizkit, and oh, it's called nice. like Moose or something. And he plays like a. A very high on the spectrum, like super fan or something oh, like yes, that. Oh yes, yes, I did see that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I saw. I, mean, the, I didn't see the movie, but no, I saw we saw the red letter media shit from it. Yeah. yeah. 
the the youtube channel that shall not be named (laughs) no everyone knows dude if you're listening to us you probably like them they're great but no yeah like this movie i don't know this movie (laughs) i don't get this like horrifying vibe from it that you that you guys are describing i get it i get the horrifying nature of war and i definitely get like this empathetic thing but i don't know the beginning of the movie with john travolta i i my it's not the worst scene in the movie but it definitely is was a weird way to start off i guess because i had no idea where this movie was going for the first 40 minutes and no, because you start in the jungle with this guy and you're like, what's going, what is this movie? Yeah. If, you, if you have no idea, like I showed this to Skylar and I didn't tell him anything about it. I just wanted to see him like react to it as it happened. And he was very confused for a while. He's like, wait a minute. And now we're on a ship and like there's soldiers talking about one guy's going to steal a gun. And now we're on yeah. another ship. He's like, what's the plot? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to have like a heart of darkness type story. I, it like the way he was in the forest and he was like kind of like with the natives. I was like, oh, okay. Are we going with like a soldier goes native and then and, and like rebels against the, the, the hierarchy? Again? No, you know, they just like pick him up and he goes to war. Like it was yeah. just like, oh, okay. Here we They're go. Like, hey, we know you've been missing for the past few months, but we're about to take this ridge and we need you to come back. Yeah, it almost felt like a Vietnam movie at first. Like something it about really did seriously the Eastern theater of World War Two movies. It gets kind of like romanticized, I guess. I don't feel like the same grittiness for some reason when I watch those films. Um, it could be different for other people, obviously, but something about this movie, I was unsure at first. I was like. Oh, I always thought this was a World War Two movie. I guess it's a Vietnam film. And then obviously I was like, Oh wait, this is a World War Two movie. So I don't know. I don't know if I even thought about that the first couple times I watched it. Really? Because I'm somebody who can like I don't know, I can divorce myself from the sense of place pretty well in movies and like not think about it. I'm like, it's war. You know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> there are yeah. there are so many wars that we've been a part of that it's like whatever. They could it's be just on one of them. <laughs> it could be any of them. Well, it's like, it's just throw a dart, you know? Uh, and it, 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 when it comes down to it, they're all the same. And that's kind of like what the movie is saying anyway, you know? It's like, it, this is all pointless. Kind of. It's just throwing it into the meat grinder. It, yeah, in a way. I would also s- stress to say that there is an element of how war fundamentally evolves humanity and changes us and, and change then through that we change the nature around us because i was um i always think about this uh, epigenetic i mean not to get on a little tangent here but i always think about this kind of epigenetic study that i was reading about about people who survive horrible situations like the holocaust war famine genocide all of these situations tend to be survived by the people who were either looked inwardly like you know hoarded rations, hoarded things, were able to to last. And those type of mentalities, when coupled with stress, create imprints on our genome and change how our offspring react and how their tendencies towards violence and anger and stress and anxiety. And I was almost like, this movie almost kind of was making a point of that, of how the soldiers who tend to survive are the Nick Nolte's. Like and much like great wars, like World War One, those soldiers then go home, and that becomes the basis of procreation. And those inborn stress mm. imprinted genetics on them then pass on to our children. So it's almost like the worst of us survive. Yeah, it's not the Jim Caviezel's, the the like nature poets within yeah. the within the war because he dies. You know, it's like it's only only the the people who looked after themselves and this I'm making broad generalizations I'm just kind of loosely talking about an article that I was reading it just it creates these imprints in our genome and changes fundamentally how our culture thinks and feels and whether that's good or bad I don't know it's just an element that I feel like Terrence Malick was touching on absolutely yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, can't, I can't agree more. I was looking uh I was looking through reviews cuz there was a there was a review that I read that had a really beautiful line about the same kind of thing. I can't really find it right now. But about how like 
to them the movie was about humanity's distance from nature and like the way that war acts as like the most perverse aspect of nature or like perversion of nature i don't know something like that well yeah you see i mean the shells change the i mean there's shelling has changed the topography of whole areas of the world because of just constant constant shelling places that were once verdant fields of green are marshlands because they were just shelled to oblivion and eventually just started holding water and became a marshland like uh, there are scenes where the soldiers are like shooting up at the trees just out of panic and you can't yeah, like a, a bird flies they're like oh yeah. shit uh, yeah they're Fire scared of nature they're afraid of nature they're afraid of where the enemy could be hiding the enemy hides in nature they hide in foxholes covered with leaves mm-hmm. and and they literally you can't even trust the ground you walk on and so it's uh, yeah i think that's a great great point that you're making and that terence malick is trying to make here is is how men fundamentally react to nature in a in a sense of war. I also think too it's like something about this movie's way that it deals with like the proximity of nature to these men. It's I don't know. It, it, you are surrounded by all of this life and all of this lushness, right? And it's different when you are doing something. Your activity is not exploring but killing other men. It's almost like making an argument of the very unnatural in the realm of the natural world, right? And it's like a sin or it's like just like an abomination for everyone involved. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, these men are immersed in nature. They're like take place. A large part of the movie takes place just like laying in a grass field. <laughs> yeah. Constant blades of grass surrounding you. I mean, you would see that part where that kid is in awe of that plant that closes when you touch it. It's yeah. It's a Japanese fern. And he he's almost at odd the, the the viper or the that I don't know if it's a viper but the poisonous snake mm-hmm. or venomous excuse me venomous snake that like starts creeping towards the soldiers like this whole area is foreign to them and deadly the, it's like the whole of this island is trying to kill these men. I also want to point out how beautiful the landscape shots in this movie are. Holy I think shit! We have uh, like when they're when they're on the boat. Driving, uh, driving. <laughs> what do you drive a boat? What do you, what's, the, what's the technical term? Pilot a boat. Sail. When their boat is being piloted toward the island, you have this nice panoramic shot, the islands and everything. It's just um, when the movie does linger on nature, it is just ridiculously gorgeous for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a gorgeous place in the world, the South Pacific. I, I mean, had no idea be- either that. Like, I, I knew, I guess, but the portrayal of indigenous peoples in these areas, I, like, for some reason in my mind, when I think of the fighting over there during World War II, I just never think of, like, the toll it must have taken on the people who were already on those islands. And, I don't know, just, like, these two nations show up, and they're like, we're going to fight here. <laughs> and these people are like, okay. These people are living in huts. They're like, yeah. well, I guess we can't do anything yeah, about that. Exactly. Like, good luck. I mean, but then it affects them anyway. Yeah. I think that's that's probably why the film is bookended the way it is. It's like you're fighting. You, he's on this island, right? And then he sees the boat, and they're like, what? What are our boys doing here? And then <laughs> oh, you yeah. have this whole war happen, and then he goes back to the village, which I'm just assuming is part of these islands. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then it's all just, yeah, yeah. it's all just fucked. So, yeah, then it's probably why it bookended that way. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But I like that. I like that reading. Uh, But yeah, man, I mean, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to go into with the Thin Red Line. I think we've pretty well gone through it. Unless you guys have any other big points to make, I think we can wrap it up. No, I mean, just watch this film if, not if, just watch it. I mean, yeah, it just if you matters. if you it got some stomach, it's definitely worth watching for sure. Really, is good. that me being a is is that me being a a fucking a war guy like Nick Nolte, a boomer, <laughs> a boomer? <laughs> yeah, kids ain't got the stomach for war these days. <laughs> I ain't got the stomach to watch the thin red line. Exactly, <laughs> I watched Saving Private Ryan when I was ten. I eat Mel Gibson movies for breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like people like try to talk about how the passion is like o- like overtly gruesome, and it's like, eh, it's just annoyingly so. 
Well, it's, it's just, just so yeah. Catholic. I mean, we don't we don't it's need to like, talk about yeah, the passion. Let's not get into the passion <laughs> at the end at of the, this. At the end of the episode. So yeah, watch it in Red Line. It's it's amazing, beautiful contemplation on the horror of war and humanity and empathy in general. And also watch uh uh I don't know more of our content. More of our content. I was going to loop it back to the beginning, and I couldn't think of the name of Stargate. Stargate. I was going to say, watch Stargate starring Russell Crowe <laughs> and have a terrible, terrible joke to end. But now we have a terrible, terrible joke to end that's like a stumble over itself. So yep. we're nice. on brand, everybody. Yep. Ending it the way we should. That's right. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Have a good one. chicka chaka now our podcast is done and we have to run we know it is sad but we had so much fun don't be bereft jesse alex and jeff will be back real soon the real weirdos we talk about movies for way too goddamn long Boo 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 boo.